Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Happy New Year. Welcome back to, uh, I, is this like the fifth year of this show? I, I completely lost track. I cannot believe it. It's a happy new year. I want to thank everyone for supporting us for all these years and listening. And uh, I was thinking about this on New Year's Day because, Cody, we were feeling we were feeling chippy. We were feeling excited. The new year was in. The basketball season is rocking and rolling. We had a show lined up for New Year's Day, and Cody was down for the count. And I sat right here, and I looked right at this camera, and I said, I'm going to record a solo podcast like it's 2019. Yeah. But I, and, I never did it. No, I never did it. I thought, how can anyone record a solo? But what, Cody wouldn't be there. I'd have to explain to the people why Cody wouldn't be there. I'd get all these messages about how you miss Cody. And uh, we'll just we'll do it together some other time. Yeah. I, I feel like there's going to be a contingency of like hardcore people that would be like, oh, wow, I miss the good old days, Ben. We need, <laughs> we need to bring the solo pod back. I just need an hour of your voice talking no. through some numbers. That's too much. It's too much. But thank you for everyone. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been here for years and, and for the journey. Thanks to all the recent people. And if you're a new listener and you haven't gotten sick of us yet, I mean, that's the best. That's the best place to be. Uh, Cody, you, not speaking of sick, I mean, you've been down for the count in the, in the frigid... Midwestern air there, uh, but you you had a little bit of a run in. I'm st- I'm still I'm still buzzing off the high of our top twenty five under twenty five, where we put out three different lists to totally confuse everyone. And um, at the end of that, you teased us. It was like a to be continued. It was like Back to the Future two setting up Back to the Future three. I don't know why I thought of that 1989 movie as a movie that set up a sequel. To every movie's a sequel under the sun now. But you had a story about a moose, right? Yeah, not actually a moose. There was a moose up near my parents' place uh, a while back, so it could have been a moose, but it wasn't a moose. First of all, again, everyone still struggling through it, so if the voice gives out, just just roll with it. Just go with the bluesy <laughs> vibes of my voice today, and we'll make it work. But here's the here's the situation. I'm up for the holidays at my folks' place, and they live like in the woods. Like some people are like, "Oh, we live in no, we they you, live in the woods." Is there electricity? If there's electricity, they're not off the grid. Do they have their own power generator and their own well in this kind of setup? (laughs) They do have their own well, yeah. But like their nearest neighbor is like a mile away sort of thing. Like it's... So you're out, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in the middle of nowhere, right? And so I'm I'm walking outside into the... It's dark out. It's like 9 p.m. or something like this. And I have have my dad's spotlight because he loves looking at the animals and the deer and stuff. So I'm like walking to the yard with my spotlight going. And I'm just kind of like going around, looking around. Speaking of animals, the dog shows up right now. Um, And I turn around to the yard and there's this movement that I don't register, Ben. Like I've been around animals. I've seen a good amount of animals. But this is like a small movement, like coming towards me. And I'm like... Is this like a Komodo dragon? Is this mm. one of those like little dinosaur oh, no. things that eats like people in the Jurassic Park movies? Like, what is this thing running towards me? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on for a second. I'm freaking out. Komodo you know was running towards me, Ben. Well, I know a Komodo. You don't want to. The Komodos are not small. Little Komodo is a bit of an oxymoron. Komodos are huge. They're like but, six or seven feet. I'm talking like it wasn't like a wolf or a bear sort of thing. Like it was shorter in stature. Like that's okay. what I'm trying to get. At. So you, so you, you clearly saw it, but it was low to the ground. It had yeah. a stealth. It had a stealth-like component. I wouldn't say stealth. Just a really unorthodox movement pattern. And you know what it turned out to be, Ben? A raccoon. It was an owl. 
And I did not know until that moment that owls, when they run, have this lopsided, like, they're kind of dancing back and forth like this. So here's this owl just charging across the yard. I'm like, ah! I had no idea what this thing was. And I learned at that moment that owls run very awkwardly. And uh, so you should all YouTube it to get a vibe for what I'm talking about. But it it scared the hell out of me, Ben. That was was right there. Owls Owls can kill people. That's a thing, right? Yeah, but this is a nice owl. Like, it wasn't trying to attack me. It was just... I don't know what it was doing. Just happened to be running in my general direction. Did you see what was that? What was that miniseries called the, the the staircase? Did you see that? I don't even know what that is. No, we're just gonna move on. Cody, <laughs> we, we I, I really reached. I swung for the fences there <laughs> that Cody might have seen a television program, um, but uh, we'll we'll move on. It I'm was, watching it, Shrinking. I like Shrinking a lot. Shrinking, that's a fun yeah. Show. yeah, yeah, that's a good show. with uh, with the guy who plays the guitar, Jason Siegel. Siegel, yeah, Not- yeah. Not Jason Seagal. Who's the actor that's last name is Seagal? Steven, Steven Seagal. That's Steven Seagal. He's not in Shrinking. <laughs> yes. That would be a very different show. This show's off to a smashing start. What What are we talking about today? Oh, it's the new year, and we th- we ha- we haven't done it in a little while. We felt it was time to take the temperature around the NBA and uh, do a little power rankings. Mm-hmm. The way we do it, you know, we never actually make it through 30 teams because who cares about those teams at the bottom of the league? They're all just, they're all, they're all flotsam. They're all just floating in the water waiting to be scooped up by the draft lottery and the Chip Joneses of the world who can get excited about the fit of the first pick or the seventh pick or whatever. But I I start at the top, Cody, and I think, what's my inner circle of title contenders look like? Are there teams that are on the fringe that are interesting or that are on the cusp that might need their own category of dangerousness? You know, last year we had the Lakers coming out of nowhere and making the conference finals. Uh, there's a lot of parody in the NBA still, even though we've got this top, bottom, bottom heavy, bottom, kind of bottom heavy, right? There's like four or five teams that might not win 15 or 20 games. But this is how I'm thinking of it. There's been some movers and shakers, I think, in the last month or two since we've done this. Uh, you, see, this is why the YouTube is so priceless. Cody just made a head movement that I couldn't even describe with words. I could never attempt to describe that. It was and a move and a shake, Ben. A move and a shake. It was a move and a shake. So um, there's a couple teams in particular that we're going to get to today that we have to talk out our feelings. At least I need to get on the couch and figure out how I feel about these teams. A lot has happened. One of them is the Los Angeles Clippers. Another one is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's just start right there since the Thunder and the Celtics played a pretty interesting game last night in Oklahoma. The Thunder ended up winning it by a couple points at the end of the game. Um, but that, that's a great win for Oklahoma City. It's the first Celtics loss in a little while. They still have the best record in the league. They still kind of look like the quote-unquote best regular season team in the league by record and by a ton of metrics. Um, so for me, Cody, I have the Celtics still in the inner circle uh, title contender tier. I have Denver, when they're healthy, comfortably in that inner circle title contender tier. I, I By the way, I think, I can't remember if we said this, I think Denver has another gear. Hmm. Denver has these moments, they put together these quarters or these halves where they're all healthy and they're all clicking and they just run teams over. Um, I'm interested to see, hopefully, Aaron Gordon is back. It's, I mean, speaking of animals, right? Aaron Gordon with this weird injury, playing with his dog or uh, the dog, I guess, lives with his dad because he's on the road most of the time. So hopefully that's not too bad. He says he's going to try to come back soon. When that team's there, inner circle title contender. The question then becomes, to Cody, is there anyone else we put in that circle right now? 
Well, first of all, I have an, a ridiculous Denver Nuggets stat to share with you right now, Ben. Just ridiculous. So this is in 531 minutes so far this season. Do you want to guess what Jokic and Murray are when they share the court together in 531 minutes, Ben? I would like to guess plus 20. How about that? Is that it's an okay a, guess? You're in the ballpark, Ben, because they are plus 18 as okay. a net rating okay. when those yeah. two are on together. So no matter what's going on, like the, like for reference, like the peak Warriors were like around that area, right? Like mm. when all of those guys are on there, it's the kind of number that we're looking at. So no matter what happens going on, like Aaron Gordon can go down and, you know, they can be missing Brown or whatever else they might be needing. But the fact of the matter is, once Jokic and Murray are cooking, and like you could see it, I think on the 29th, they were playing against the Thunder. And just like once they go to their pick and roll action, once they go to the two man game, once Murray's popping up and kind of going back and forth with them, they just look unstoppable. Like there's just no good way to defend that sort of action. So I'm like, okay, no matter what, they're just in my inner circle, to, unless like something catastrophic happens. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think they get the number that high because the team is built so well and the other players matter. Like Aaron Gordon. Being there matters. He bumps it up. Michael Porter Jr. being on his game and his length matters. And of course, KCP, who may very well be their fourth best player. Uh, I mean, when he, it's like he is a rock. He's a great role player. He's even, I think, expanded some of his uh, quote unquote on ball actions or scoring actions just because of the way that offense works. Throw it at Jokic, chase it, get a handoff, pull up from 16 feet. He's loved that, like coming from the left side of the court cutting across the lane and catching it on the right side for a pull-up jumper from the mid-range. That's an incredible starting lineup. The bench and the depth and things like that may be a question when you get to the playoffs or the high end. But Cody, to your point, they just, they don't play their best hand all the time. It doesn't feel like that with them. And there's this moment, and and Jamal Murray's part of that because Jamal Murray has rolled his ankle like 24 times this season. You don't, you don't even notice at home anymore when Jamal Murray rolls an ankle. He rolls it and just keeps playing. Um, so when he's in that good headspace, when he's feeling good physically, and then they start clicking and playing and, and getting that two-man game, I'm still really interested to see how you slow that down or if anyone can slow that down or if a team can get uh, sort of successful on the other end of the court attacking the defense and just be like, we're not going to slow down the two-man game. So that's Denver for me. The Celtics look like a machine. Um, I do have some questions about their offensive process. I think I thought you could see it at moments during the OKC game last night where it's just like this never-ending... These, these, they have these possessions where it's like you might as well play the uh, goofy clown music where someone drives to the basket and then they rotate and then they kick it out to a three-point shooter and he's either going to shoot a three or drive to the basket and then he kicks it out to a three-point shooter and then he's either going to shoot a three or drive to the basket and then they and then they're like they're all running toward the rim and then running back out to relocate to three and then at the end of that they get like a pretty open three but I feel like when you do that for two or three possessions in a row and you just have three bricks part of my brain is like is it really a 40% shot if you keep sprinting toward the basket and then sprinting back out to the basket? Boston's a good shooting team, but they're not a great shooting team. I would just sometimes like a little bit more diversity or countermeasure in the offense. You know, go to the mid-range, have a pick-and-roll option. In the old-school days, you know, throw a post-up, two-man game. I'm always, That's the kind of only weakness I can see for Boston that I think might come back to bite them. 
Yeah, their offense is interesting, like like a like an MC Escher painting. Like it's just a staircase <laughs> that's just like constantly going, and you're just going to keep going until like hopefully you get off the ride at some point. But you know, I I do think that is certainly a weakness. The size aspect of it all. I think we talked about this on a previous episode in terms of like, especially if Porzingis is out, like they really have to bank on Porzingis being healthy because if he's not healthy, their other big man is Al Horford, who's what, like 38 years old, 37 years old. And so just like, I know they're huge. I know they're big in the sense that like they can handle pretty much any like forward or guard sort of person. But if they end up going against somebody like Embiid, right, and say Kristaps Porzingis is out, what does that kind of size actually do? Because I know we've quipped about like, oh, Drew Holiday defended him in like spurts but like you can't actually have drew holiday defending joel Embiid in like a playoff scenario so that's the one other question i would have about boston but i don't think it's like necessarily a huge question just because of the landscape of what bigs look like in the league i think the offensive question is more of the better one going forward yeah i mean it's an interesting question because so far in the regular season boston's offense has been fantastic um they're at the top of the league offensively i think a big question now is is there anyone else like like before we get to the interesting teams that have done some moving and shaking what do you what do you even do with a team like Philadelphia I think Philadelphia is great I think they're one of the best teams in the league but I am not ready to be like I see the path for Philadelphia to win four playoff series against these other top teams and so I kind of feel like they have they're on the outside looking in I've seen enough Ben I've seen enough and right now Philadelphia is currently in my inner circle oh, okay. of title contenders. Th- this is why we're here. This is why yeah. we're here. The last time Cody proclaimed those words <laughs> with that force, with that with that uh, gusto, is that the right word? Uh, yeah. It was t- two years. It was two years ago, right? Yep. And, yep. and it was around. It was a little later than this, I think. And it was the Boston Celtics when they were making their move that ended up getting them two games from the title in 2022. So. Philly, I'm very open to this because, as I said, I'm not really sure where to put them. I feel like they're like straddling a line. What is it? Oh, by the way, before I ask, before I tee this question up for you, Philly's like net rating is up to plus 10. It's actually first in the league. A lot of that comes from destroying bad teams. They have a, they have a plus 16 net rating against the bottom 10 teams in the league. As of this morning on thinkingbasketball.net, that's available for uh, Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. So, Cody, what is it that makes you comfortable that this isn't just a very good team, that this isn't just a good regular season team, that this isn't just a team that can win a playoff series or two, that they have the makeup to knock off the other top teams at the end of the year in multiple rounds to win the title? An interesting thing that... I think both Jokic and Embiid have really showcased, especially during the regular season, and I'm actually going to use it as like evidence that he's going to be better in the playoffs. Embiid is like a low-motor master during the regular season. Like when you watch him just drop like 35 points on your head and just burying all these mid-range shots and going to the free-throw line 15 times and protecting the rim, it doesn't always look like he's trying that hard. Like it doesn't look like he's revving the engine all the way. Whereas, like, Tyrese Maxey is just, like, constantly going all the way. They juxtapose each other really well, really interestingly in that way. And I'm like, I wonder what happens when we get to a playoff scenario and Nurse is like, all right, Embiid, now's the time to ramp it up a little bit. I want to see what ramped up Embiid looks like. So that's, like, one aspect of it. Number two is the Nick Nurse of it all, right? 
I just really trust him as a coach going in. The coaching aspect of things, like if something happens during a playoff series and maybe they're countering some of the things that Philadelphia is doing, they have somebody at the helm right now that's going to be able to make adjustments on the fly to do something. And I think people like Embiid and Maxi seem bought in enough that they would try some weird stuff. They'd be game to be like, all right, sure, let's let's do this. Because we've already seen Embiid buy into the whole like stand out in the perimeter, run a lot more delay action, let's unlock my passing ability sort of thing a little bit more. So I think like they bought into the whole structure of the offense and whatever else. And I just think micro level that we're going to see them buying in even more. And then just like Tobias Harris looks solid, right? I think Tobias Harris is a player that has perennially been somebody that everyone wants to be a little bit better, but he's good. I think it's like an option next to them all. He's pretty solid. De'Anthony Melton looked solid in the playoffs, and he's somebody that can't necessarily be schemed against defensively because he's a great defensive player. I do think there's some questions like Kelly Oubre hasn't played in a playoff since, what, like 2018, 2017? It's been a while, and I don't know. So there are questions about them that I don't necessarily have about the other two, but their high end to me is just so good that I'm like, I can't discount this team anymore. Yeah, the Nurse thing is very interesting. I've been thinking about that more. You know, Nurse does have a really good track record in the playoffs in the past with Toronto. We know he'll try wild stuff. We know he'll be adaptive within a series. A, as we talked about a couple episodes ago in the Giannis versus Embiid debate that no one was upset about at all. Um, Like having Nurse there potentially is going to make Embiid's playoffs a lot easier because of certain adjustments or certain positions that he can put him in on the court. I still am concerned about sort of the top end offensive gear. Uh, I don't know what I I said it recently. I don't know what to make a maxi in terms of getting to that, like Jamal Murray level. Let's put it that way. Not that, not that he has to be the exact same, but if you're thinking about the hierarchy of a championship team, uh, a number two guy that can really fit in there. And then the other sort of offensive punch, um, Tobias Harris has been much better this year. I, I've been low on Tobias Harris for a number of years, but he's been much better this year. He's been used really well. He's playing really well. If they can get that from them, from those two players, and then some defensive stuff in the playoffs, uh, yeah, it's going to get really interesting. I could see them. I could see them advancing uh, certainly to not just the conference finals, but uh, to the finals. And I think for the most part, once you're through to the finals, a team like that is going to present matchup problems with some of the other teams that they could face because of Embiid. So you you can sell me on it. I don't know what to do. I feel like they're, they represent this like straddling point uh, because they are a veteran team and not one of the sort of up and coming teams. You have any more on them or do you want to jump to another team? Let's go to, let's go to another team. Okay. So let's do the two young teams now. Um, Minnesota has the best record in the West at 24 and eight Oklahoma city who won that game last night has the second best record at 23 and nine. I'm not sure how you feel. I kind of just initially want to put Oklahoma city in a slightly higher. I don't know if it's a full tier, but Oklahoma city to me is on my like outside looking in group. That's that's where I would describe it. Okay. And what who are the teams that you say you want to put slightly above and maybe a different tier then? Well, no, I'm saying if I look at the young teams and I have Oklahoma City and Memphis, uh, Memphis, Oklahoma Memphis. City and Minnesota. Hey, let me I'm getting my M's confused, okay? Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma City and Minnesota. I feel like I'm I'm taking Oklahoma City 
more seriously before I'm taking Minnesota more seriously for a for a potential inner circle contender spot. I agree with the take about OKC being above Minnesota, mm-hmm. but I'm also pretty far away from the Thunder being in my inner circle. Like okay. I think this is a team that's like much more on the outside looking in. So so well, then let's let's pause it for a second. Are there any other inner circle contending teams left for you? Nope. To me, it's only those three teams. It's Philadelphia, yep. it's Boston, it's Denver. Okay, so then I think we're aligned because then you go to the next group. Yep. And wouldn't Oklahoma City be in that next group for you? To me, to me, they're at the top of that next. I'm not saying they're the best team in that next group. I'm saying, I when I start listing teams, Oklahoma City is going to come real soon. Yeah, I think I have four teams in this next tier and the outside looking in squadron yes. of teams. Yes. Okay. Is Minnesota in that? Minnesota is in that. That's what I'm saying. Okay, we're, we're saying the exact same thing. That was the greatest two minutes of radio ever. By greatest, I mean I apologize to everyone. Um, okay, so Oklahoma City. I are you, are you giving them a kind of rookie tax? Are you doing the thing where you're like, this team hasn't really, as constructed, been like a serious playoff team? This is their fir- this is going to be their first time. Uh, it looks very likely they'll have a high seed. They'll have home court advantage. They'll probably be a favorite in the first round. Depending on what happens in the second round, they may or may not be a favorite. Things are going to get really, really interesting. That's kind of where I am in my head with them. And then the question is like, how good is that actually when you start to break it down? Can they be ahead of schedule? Can they make a really, really deep run right now? I'm a little skeptical for a couple of reasons. I really like this Thunder team. I think they're spectacular to watch. I think if you take the starting five and take them into the playoffs and it would just be like, all right, we're going to play five on five. That's it. Like, we're not going to bring in any subs throughout the entire playoffs. I'd probably feel a lot better about their chances. Okay. There's one thing. This is kind of a historical argument that I don't necessarily know if I like hinging on, but it definitely makes me a little bit more skeptical. I tried to go back and find examples as much as I possibly could of teams that missed the playoffs and then next season won the championship. And beyond the 2020 Lakers, who are a little bit different because LeBron played like 55 games and Anthony Davis joined them in the offseason, I don't know if any team has ever done that. Okay? 2008, 2008 Celtics did it with a new okay, team Okay, let, let me put a caveat. Yeah. Let me put a caveat. Yeah. Without... Uh, big Without free a agent new signings. Team. Yeah, yeah, okay. Without yeah, yeah. big free agent signings. Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen that sort of leap before. And the Thunder have just missed the playoffs for three years in a row. So it's not even like a fluky thing, right? I know the Lakers missed it six years in a row before the 2020 championship. But like history is not on their side. Teams don't ever just go from like, oh, we're just on the outside of the playoffs to all of a sudden winning the championship. And I think that's for good reason. I think number one, Chet is special because he's in a special class of rookies that comes in already all star plus level impact. And so that's the sort of thing you can't always factor in. But also when you look outside of the top five, like the next three guys that are averaging over 15 minutes per game, Cason Wallace, Isaiah Joe, Kenrick Williams, like those aren't necessarily guys that I'm looking at and being like, oh, these are going to get some strong rotation minutes in the playoffs and I can count on to like really buoy a defense or an offense when we get down and dirty into like a conference finals. So those are a couple of things that keep me a lot more nervous about this team. I, I won't stand. I won't stand. For this case in Wallace slander, not on this show, Cody, not on my watch. This is a rookie tax. I know you're under the weather. Thomas Payne is back, Ben. Thomas Payne is back, (laughs) and my rookie tax is strong. (laughs) Um, yeah, this it's an interesting. I mean, first of all, the entire like history not being on your side. 
how often does that actually correlate when things are tw- 10 years apart, 20 years apart? I, I never really know what to make of those because there's always some team that does it for the first time. So I'm still trying to focus on like, what is the inner working construction of the team? And we can talk about that in a second with OKC. But the compelling thing to me here, the interesting kind of historical perspective is it sounds like you're just merely saying something like, this is the 98 Spurs or Tim Duncan slash Chet Holmgren is a rookie, not the 99 Spurs. This is the 2000, maybe 11 Thunder, not the 2012 Thunder, where now Durant's like an MVP candidate and Westbrook. It's like the, the idea of not looking at teams from free agency and looking at teams who build organically and develop and age, having that step, even if it's a huge step, right? The Golden State Warriors and their dynasty. Uh, I don't think they made the playoffs in 2012, just off the top of my head, uh, right? 2013, they get to the playoffs and they have a little bit of a splash. 2014, they don't have it. They make the coaching change. And then 2015, they make the run to the to the title. So it sounds like that's kind of where you're seeing Oklahoma City, a very good team. The future is still like the sky's the limit, but it might just be a year too early. I think actually that 2015 Warriors is really interesting because you have this internal development of having a guy in Draymond Green that you didn't realize was going to be quite as good as he was. And I think Chet's kind of the same thing for the Thunder, whereas like most contending teams, they go into a season and they they start going through a season with this mentality that's like, we are actually going to be inner circle teams and we're going to load up uh, based on that. But like, there's no way the Thunder went into the season being like, yep, Chet's going to be an all-star right away and we know that we just need to load up and go for the finals. Like, I think there's, not psychological, but like your team is just missing some aspects of players that's like filling some of the gaps that you need. And so I think this team is, I, I just think the Thunder are one year away. Like literally one year away of having the mentality of going into it, getting some playoff experience, getting everyone a little, a one year older, and then hopefully adding on maybe through free agency or trades, whatever else, another piece or two. Just maybe like one guy off the bench who's a little bit more grizzled that can come in and be like, yep, I'm going to give you some solid minutes in the playoffs. We said that Philadelphia was bottom feeding. And they had this massive offensive rating because they've been beating up on the bottom 10 teams in the league. Oklahoma City has the best offensive ra- uh, best overall net rating, excuse me, against the bottom 10 teams in the league. They're outscoring them by 20 points oh per 100 possessions. They have a plus 20 net rating against the bottom 10 teams in the league. So they take care of business. But as we saw against the Celtics, they can also play with the big boys, which is why I think they're in this conversation and why you're saying things like they're literally one year away from being a a championship, maybe being in that like inner circle championship tier. Um, The Celtics game last night was really interesting for some of the specifics for me because Boston had a really hard time containing Shea Gilgis Alexander's penetration. And we did the video last year on his big ascension now uh, in the MVP conversation this season and things like that. He has this style of driving. And really, I'm going to use the word burst here. Like when he takes off and explodes and bursts toward the basket, he has this style that's very atypical. He will do it in the middle of the dribble. It's almost on like a half dribble. So most players, there's a rhythm, the dribble, and the ball's up in their hand, bounce, 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 and then they go. He does it when you're like not expecting it. He like gently puts it through his legs, and while the ball's just like hanging there, he reaches down with that long arm, and he he like cups it, and he just starts going. 
and it catches people off guard and uh cover your ears everyone cover their ears i don't want any listeners listening to this drew holiday got smoked last night he he had a he had a real rough night and Joe, uh, Joe Missoula kind of ended up benching him for the end of the fourth quarter because he was just having a hard time out there. But watching this, we've talked about the way the Thunder set the floor up for Shea and then watching how much success he had earlier in the game with that. Boston switches Tatum onto him. They change the way they play that drive a little bit. They bring a little bit more help later in the game. All of a sudden, big comeback. All of a sudden, Shea can't get the easy stuff anymore. And that's the kind of thing that makes my bat signal go up a little bit over the years where I'm like, oh, okay. So in the postseason, does a team basically say, we're going to ask you to take 16-footers and 24-footers and collapse the defense? And then when we get in a playoff series, go, uh, Lou Dort, would you like to take 17 threes in this game? Josh Giddy. Josh, now Josh Giddy made threes last night. It was a huge difference in the game. And that's the, that's the sort of razor's edge of a narrative in basketball sometimes. Oklahoma City loses that game to the, to the experienced, like, first place, best record Celtics by three points at home. And people wake up today and they talk about all the, all the ways the Thunder couldn't win the close game. Um, that's every close game in basketball. That's how it works. I think the fact that they were there and they played great and they had success all night is the indicator there uh, that, that I take home at least. But the closeness of the game, like Giddy made a bunch of threes. If he misses one or two, maybe the Celtics win. Porzingis has his toe on the line in the corner. He gets a technical earlier in the game. That's it. That shouldn't change the big takeaway of the game, which is that OKC is really, really good. They had a lot of success. But I do wonder when you think about like the end of that game, what happens in a playoff series where you, like Isaiah Joe is a great example because he's a really good shooter. Can Isaiah Joe come in and have one of these playoff series where he makes like 23s in a playoff series off the bench? Or does the combination of asking those guys to make a ton of shots to stretch and space the floor for Shea and the defensive responsibilities that's going to get magnified in a postseason series? Like, okay, yeah, we're going to attack Isaiah Joe when he's out there. We've seen these things happen before. That's the specific part with Oklahoma City that I'm still not sure about to, to put, push them up into the, into the top class. And I think it's tough for me to nitpick like this because the Thunder are actually built in a way that should make me a lot more excited about them going to the playoffs. Their team build is such that like you can do so many different things offensively and defensively with them. Like They're playing the Nuggets a couple weeks ago, and you know J-Dub gets matched up onto Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray tries to step back, and he just straight up blocks the jump shot. I'm like, oh my god, like this, Jamal Murray's a big guard, and like he can't do anything about the size of these guards. Or like Chet Holmgren opens up the game, knocks couple threes in, in Jokic's face, right? And Jokic is kind of hanging off him. So, like, next play, Jokic steps up. And Holmgren's like, oh, I'm just going to put it on the deck and take it to the yeah. rack and just leaves him in the dust. Like, you have to adjust to this team. And I think this team has the ability to adjust on the fly, too. And I think it would be a really interesting showcase for Mark Dagnold as well, just to see, like, what he's made of in a playoff setting. Because, you know... Coaches are just like players. Like, we also have to see them, like, being able to scheme on the fly and stuff like that, too. So, sure, call it a rookie tax. Call it a historical tax. Call it a Chet Holmgren shouldn't be as good as he is in year one, and I just need to see it a little bit more tax. But I think that's the only thing that's really holding me back because, ideally, when I see them play, like, they sort of have a build and a flexibility that I think will allow them to be an extremely dangerous playoff team. Yeah, no, that's the flip side of it. Like, the, the way you just described it, I've said it before. I think I think Chet is that guy. 
I think he's going to get on the bright lights and just still be as good, if not better. Uh, J-Dub, Jalen Williams, he made a couple of those plays last night. You know, whether it's offense or defense, or then you have Shea, that right there, those three guys being on the court for a huge percentage of the game is going to make them a pretty difficult out out in the playoffs, I think, for every team, which is what's so interesting. It reminds me another team, another one of these historical teams, Cody, the 2008 New Orleans uh, Hornets. That's what they were back then. The Horn- with Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler and Peja Stoyakovic and who was on that team? Morris Peterson and David West. David West, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And that team, like, they went to seven against the four-time champion Spurs at the time, and they lost game seven. It was a, it was a great series, second-round series. That's the kind of, like, wow, you're really good, but I'm just not sure if you're right there uh, with Oklahoma City. I want to stick with the young teams because then there's a couple veteran teams that are really interesting uh, that we have to talk about. Minnesota, to me, is like that, but maybe with a little less punch, which is why I was saying at the top that when I look at the young teams, I believe a little bit less in Minnesota than the dangerousness of OKC right now. We've talked a lot about Minnesota. We have a video on their defense on the YouTube uh, channel, Think of Basketball YouTube channel, so we don't have to belabor it, but do you have any thoughts on them really quickly compared to the teams we've talked about? So how how hot or cold are you on these little historical uh, gambits I toss out there? Like how, how how do you feel about them? Well, I mean, the only the only thing I'm cold on is that like sometimes when we're like this team's never done this or only one team has done this without realizing that enough context has shifted in the league that we shouldn't put too much weight on an old thing. But I do like them from the standpoint of really anchoring or really sort of ballparking where a team is. Right. Because we don't remember the 17th best team in a league. No one no one cares about that. But the third or fourth best team that just doesn't quite make it, even if they get eliminated in the second or third round in a really close series. I think that's a helpful barometer sort of in the middle of the season to say, like, yeah, actually, this team might be like the fourth best team in the league. But if you look at the matchups, that might mean they lose a seven game series in the second round in the West or something. That's where I think they're helpful. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to use it as like a complete discounting. I think we used it with the Warriors maybe maybe last year or midway through the season. I think you had a stat that's like, you know, based on how the Warriors are doing, they might be cooked. And then that's well, yes, that's because I was trying to sell everyone on the idea that the Warriors <laughs> were cooked last season, which P- I, Cody, I don't know if you know this, but people were not receptive to that at the time. We got a lot of it's so funny. I got a lot of messages about how that makes me a very low IQ person. Um, but no one ever came back at the end of the year and said, well, it's interesting. The Warriors didn't do too well. All right. Go ahead. Are you, are you more of a real Hooper analyst? Is that what you're saying? You're low IQ analyst? Is that I, I am not making that connection at all. That's how dare you? I've, that's uh. I don't think that's what they said either. They just, no, they, you know, they just go ahead. I want them to be saying, I think they like funny. to needle me. Okay. Needle so me. that's not needling is like, there's a little bit of fun in there. Like it's halo and you got the needler. I was like, it's just a little tickle of fun. Like it's, that's actually bullying. Has that's the nice. internet, has the internet forgotten how to have fun? My Ted talk coming up later. I love that. I will be right in the front row cheering and laughing awkwardly along with all the TED Talk laughs. That's the thing about TED Talks. People always... And what are we talking... Okay, so the, the Timberwolves. Here's the thing about the Timberwolves. <laughs> this is just because I asked you about Minnesota. This is all it took. Right now, Ben, the Timberwolves have a negative one relative offensive rating. These are offenses one point per 100 possessions worse mm-hmm. than league average yep. offense. The last time a team won a championship... With a negative offensive rating, Ben. I, I got I, I, I to take a guess at this. Take a guess at it, Ben. 
Was it 2004? It was 2004, Ben. It yeah. was our 2004 Detroit Pistons. And they, I don't know. Uh, and before that, you want to take a guess at the other team that did it before them? This one's tougher. Oh, my goodness. A team, a team before them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's got to be in the 70s, right? It's actually one in the 90s. Oh, the Rockets. Did they do it? They did. The 94 yeah. Rockets. Uh, I just um, skipped. The, I just, I just Jordaned that whole decade. Sorry. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing. Teams, especially now, and I think even back then, like, I think you could dominate the game a lot more with a defense in, like, 2004 than you can now. And if we're talking even, like, flexibility going to a playoff series, like the Pistons in 2004 just have a much more flexible defensive uh, team. We've talked about this uh, on the on the defense episode where I think both you and I think their defense might be a little bit more rigid compared to some of the other defensive teams in the league. So, like, I think their defense is great, but I don't think it's, like, all-time dominant in the way that they can hang their hat on it on en route to a, to a championship. And then their offense, I think, is just a little too underwater going forward where I can count on them to be able to like really dig themselves out uh, if they get into a tough matchup in the playoffs. It's time, Cody. We've made it. It's a new year. We have new rules. It's 2024 in the calendar. We are going to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. (laughs) Uncover your eyes. We can do this. They've won... Like what, 13 of 16 or something like that since we made the video on them when they were like seven and I think they were seven and nine. Paul George hit the buzzer beater against the Warriors or not the buzzer beater is the last second shot at the end of that game that that and now they're like 20 and 12. So they have completely turned the season around. Um, I'm letting I'm letting you collect your thoughts. So I'll throw one more thing out there. The takeaway I had after scouting them for the first month or so of the season, which was both painful sometimes to watch and also fascinating because super teams and collections of new talent always fascinate me. I've said this many, many times. I wish we could shuffle the deck more sometimes and have new pairings and try to f- try to figure out how players can be optimized next to each other and all that stuff. Um, my takeaway was, okay, they're going to be much better than where they are now and where their record is. I still don't know if that gets them in the inner circle title contenders. And that's kind of exactly where I still am today. But the fact that they have sort of turned it around so quickly and things are looking pretty good. Like, I don't I don't know if you could say early in the season that, that you really need them to look too much better. Now, if they look exactly the same and they end up winning like they finish the season like 50 and 32 or something like that like on our board this morning they're playing at a 51 win pace this season and i think a month ago they were playing at a 49 or 50 win pace it's like the shooting it's like the shooting lock went in one direction when they were losing and the shooting lock's going in the other direction the opponent and strength of schedule has inverted as well so they're really interesting they look pretty good. Kawhi Leonard looks good. James Harden's doing his thing where he's back playing regular season James Harden ball. They've figured a bunch of stuff out. Ty Lue's doing some interesting stuff on defense. I, I, we were trying to figure out the zone they were playing the other day. It was one of the most strangest zones I've ever seen in my whole life. We had like six people trying to figure out what the rules of this zone were. Um, but I've stalled long enough. What, how, where are you on the Clippers? What tier are they in for you? How are you feeling about it? Are you an emotionally safe space to talk about them? Just like Roman Roy, I'm pre-grieving 
my statement that I'm about to say. I'm pre-grieving the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth. And I have to cough. It sounds like I'm getting choked up about the Clippers, but it's just I thought you. I thought you were getting choked up there. (laughs) It's just so emotional, Ben. All right. Let me me take a drink for a second. This is... uh... This is all happening live. This is amazing. We've been waiting. We've been waiting all year for this. I think the Clippers are at the top of my tier two right now. The top, the, the top of the tier two. They're at top of tier two. They're the closest okay. team to looking in to the inner circle right now. Okay. Yes, I like this. I still don't know what to do with Philadelphia. I have Philadelphia almost in their like own space, but I kind of agree. I don't know if I don't know if I'd put them ahead of OKC, but they're right there. This is what I meant, where I was like. Whatever you do with Minnesota, Minnesota feels like they're behind, sort of at at a lower place than a team like OKC. The Clippers are also right there for me, where there's a few other teams we have to talk about at the end of the show, but Los Angeles, you just start listing the teams out in the NBA, you're not going to get eight or 10 teams that are clearly better than the Clippers, at least to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And just like star power, Ben, like I hate to say the star power thing, but you watch the game. Like you said, Kawhi Leonard, very good basketball player. James Harden looks like he's like, he. we thought he was a very good player during the regular season last year, right? I think both of you and I were pretty sad that he wasn't an all-star because he was definitely at that level. Paul George still looks absolutely incredible. I still think there are times where like I'll watch and be like, are we sure Paul George isn't better than Kawhi Leonard? Then Kawhi Leonard has one of his heaters where he's just like absolutely cooking everybody and the hands are just all over the place disrupting things. But then I also kind of like their depth, Ben. Like I like the verve that Norman Powell brings off the bench. Like I just like the fact that he like attacks with reckless abandon. He can hit the threes. Russell Westbrook, I think he's really slotted in nicely in his bench role. Uh, Amir Coffey is just like left in the corner like 900 what? times a game, and he's can just we, like doing stuff there. What's going on? Can we can we acknowledge this? Like in in my shade that I've been throwing at the Clippers, I've been like, look, where's the bench? Where's the role players? If Amir Coffey can play like this in the postseason, whatever minutes, I don't know if it's 18 minutes a game or 28 minutes a game, but if he's making threes at a really high rate, and he's defending solidly, and he's not getting in the way. He's attacking closeouts. He's moving the ball along reasonably. Um, I, like I, he jumped out to me just the last couple times I've watched the Clippers is like, oh, okay, yeah, Amir Coffee. If you don't miss and you defend, um, yeah, that that really helps the construction of this team to have a play finisher on the outside like that. And when you have so much talent, all you need is a couple of guys to just like reasonably right. well do the other things. And so I think they're like, sure, is there a chance that like they get injured and they're out in the first round again? Sure. But I think if the three if the three guys, I guess even Westbrook, if they're all healthy and they're bought in, like the other guys have like a really clearly defined role of what they need to do going into the playoffs, and that makes for a really interesting team. This is a really fun little stat, but in a thousand minutes where two or more of Paul George, Kawhi, or Harden is on the court, they're a plus 10.6, right? It can be any combination as long as at least two of them are on the court. Plus 10.6, right? That's a pretty solid number going forward with them. So, I don't know. I like Ivica Zubats. I think, like, he can't necessarily be the passing hub, but, like, their offensive players are such that, like, they don't need him to be a big passing hub. They just need to uh, him to, like, absorb rebounds, block some shots, maybe hit a hook shot once in a while. The one thing that just drives me crazy that also makes me believe in them in the playoffs is there's, like, there'll be a couple times where they have, like, this nice boom-boom passing the ball around, and then maybe, like, Kawhi or James Harden, like, maybe slowly passes the ball, 
and then one of them catch it, especially Harden and Kawhi, because they both have such slow jump shots, that they load up for their catch-and-shoot jumper, the defense completely settles back in, they lose all their advantage on offense, and then Kawhi's like, I guess I'll just pull anyway with your hand in my face, just buries it. And I'm like, what are we even doing here? Like, why are we even, like, passing the ball at this point? So, like, I don't know how I feel about those sorts of plays, but the fact that they just, like, can ignore defenses sometimes, I think that's pretty solid, Ben. Yeah, it uh, creates a very interesting floor versus ceiling kind of dynamic where if they're all healthy, it's hard to see a low floor on those kinds of possessions. <laughs> and and the offense, so specifically with the Clippers, I think the offense, they've cleaned up a lot of stuff in terms of taking a long time to get into actions, um, not finishing closeouts, attacking closeouts, shooting when they're open. I mean, these are all the things in the video that we made. And that was one, honestly one of the reasons why I was like, even when LA gets better, chronicling the way they started here is going to be worthwhile because it's such a it's such a stark contrast to what you'd expect with a team like this. And I think they've cleaned up a ton of those things. But James Harden getting into sort of Harden ball and then Kawhi and Paul George getting more comfortable off ball next to that. Um, the offense has been pretty, pretty successful. And you add into the fact that, as you said, on those possessions where things break, then you get to fall back on both Kawhi and PG's sort of like ISO ISO scoring bucket getting at the end of the possession, I think it gives the offense a really interestingly high floor. I think my question with the Clippers is all the other stuff and how much they can put together. So players four through nine, and you mentioned Avica Zubats. Is he all of a sudden a critical 30-minute-a-game shot-blocking presence in the playoffs that's protected, gets offensive rebounds, um, can attack mismatches or be a good role threat in the pick-and-roll game, and he plays all the time, and he's and he's hugely important. We saw that last year a little bit. There was just these times where it's like, man, where would they be without Zubats in this game? His presence is so key. You add into the fact that they're big. When they play these lineups, they're big. Like James Harden is their... I think he's their smallest dude out there when they start and they like to keep him often closer to the basket or he can use his power closer to the basket if there's a post up or a switch or things like that. It starts to create these really interesting possibilities in a playoff series because when you go back to the first round series against the Suns when they had Kawhi and Kawhi's just like looking like God mode Kawhi out there, then it's the... Russell Westbrook minutes working, the defense working from the other players. These are still the question marks I have with the Clippers. What do you get from Terrence Mann? What do you get from Norman Powell? Can Amir Coffey do his thing? Can Zubats stay on the court and be really effective? Or are they playing small ball all the time and trying a way to make that work on both ends? Still a lot of questions for me, but they are... Um, I think they've righted the ship enough that like there just aren't that many teams anymore that you're clearly going oh yeah they have they have much better title odds yeah they've definitely righted the clipper here going forward so you know i think those are the questions that keep them from being inner circle contention so i think the things that we're saying right now are all very fair and there's a chance they could just like we all of a sudden get the clippers we've been waiting for for the last five years well, um, you, you think they're fair the, the, i mean 
the commenter at home doesn't think they're fair. I would like to hear it. I, I want to hear somebody that's like either very for or against and to give me like a logical response or just yell at me like you're going to. That sounds pretty fun too. I like that. <laughs> uh, this, this has been a this has been a spicy uh, spicy opening year episode. Uh, any anything else? Oh, I mean, uh, th- I do want to know if you have anything else to say on the Clippers, but I cut you off there. Let me try to pass it back to you. Everything we're saying, Cody is both the reason in my head they're not an inner circle contender and also the reason that like this tier represents a couple teams and the Clippers are one of them where you're going, is there something they can do to get there? Like all this stuff that is still holding them back is also the thing that could push them forward in April or May when you get a playoff series and you're just looking at the team across from them and you're like, okay, yeah, it's good. It's going to be tough to easily pick you over the LA Clippers. They're kind of an enigma of a team in that respect. How This is a weird comparison. I'm starting to think of like right now. So tell me if you think I'm really off base. Do you think they kind of have a similar-ish vibe to like the 97 Rockets? Like is that sort of the like where you have these three superstars where it's kind of an odd fit and you're like, I'm not sure, but there's so much dynamic offense here that maybe it'll work out. Because like their top tier guys are so good, and they just need a couple other dudes doing what they need to do as role players. Is that is that a fair comparison? I th- I think that's fair. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what it means in retrospect, but I, I don't was either. Trying to put my 1997 shoes back on. Um, pretty sure I'm the same size shoe as I was in 1997. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of a fair way to look at it. Okay. So. This is where it gets really fun. The Clippers aren't even the only team like that in the Western Conference. There's also the Phoenix Suns, who are now... What are they up to? Are they up to 63 minutes played? 63 minutes. How many minutes played have the Phoenix Suns' big three played of Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker? And why, why are they doing this to us? Why are they going around and only playing two at a time? What's your theory? Um, my theory is they don't want to pass the threesome of the Brooklyn Nets superstars being together. They don't want to shoot past that too quickly. The, the they want to drag games. it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They want to drag it out just a little bit more so there's some more excitement than that Nets squad. Uh, they've played 65 minutes together, oh officially. They have a plus 20 net rating. So they're right, they're right there. I've never cared uh, less about uh, a stat in, uh, in my life. Not no, I'm sorry, no. man. <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's uh, you see a lot of people sometimes do that. They they cite a small number of minutes and then the net rating. What you don't realize is if you've played 65 minutes, if you have a plus 20 net rating, that means you won the 65 minutes by like 24 points. That's what that means. It means in like a game and a half, you won the game by 24 points. But but Cody Cody to be even more ridiculous. They do have a 133 offensive rating in those 65 minutes, which once again means they probably scored about 120 points in the game. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. They're not in Tier 2 for me. See, I, 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 this is where I like to have another tier behind the tier we just talked about. Yep. And I have four teams in that tier. And that, and that tier is, wait, wait, what, is, what is it? What just happened to you? I'm, I'm not done with my tier two, guys. We can go, we can go back to tier okay. two. Okay. We can okay. go back to Sons. tier two. Okay. 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 Let's, let's talk I don't about have, I don't have a tier two. I have the inner circle title contenders. I have the outside looking in. And then I have uh, dangerous lurkers. Much like, very similar to the animal that you encountered 
near your parents' house in in the great outdoors. I've forgotten what the, an owl, like, an the, owl, like yeah. the lurking owl. Yes. I was going to call it a snake. That makes, it was so an the owl. The Suns are a lurking owl. That's what you're saying. Well, I think there's three other teams like that. I think the Suns are one of the lurking owls. Um, I think the Lakers are a lurking owl. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is so exciting what I'm going to say right now. Does it start with a Mavericks? <laughs> Does it start with a Mavericks? Yeah. No, it oh, does okay. not. But it does start with an M. The, are you going to say the Milwaukee Bucks? I think the Miami Heat. Wait a second. Wait, we, did we? We just forgot the Bucks. Where are we putting the Bucks? That's why I tried to call a timeout because I want to. Talk, let's talk about what you just said. Okay. No, that's what I'm saying. The Bucks are in the. All right. We need a full timeout. We need a. We need a full timeout. Where are you putting the Bucks? They're in my tier two. The Bucks are in the same tier as Philadelphia for me. Oh. 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 Wow. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Oh, I like that. It yeah. Makes me feel a lot better. The Bucks are in the same as uh the Thunder, the Timberwolves, and the Clippers for me. Okay. So I'm slightly higher on the Bucks. You're slightly lower on the Bucks. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which makes my next comment about my dangerous <laughs> lurkers in the grass even more interesting because I think you have to talk about Phoenix as one of those groups. I think you have to talk about Laker the Lakers for all the obvious reasons that we've talked about, LeBron and A D defensive potential taking over in the playoffs. The rest of the roster is a bit of a mess in terms of spacing and shooting and uh, divvying up the, you know, you need Austin Reeves to really pop. Will they make a trade? It's a LeBron team. What do you think, Cody? What do you think the odds are that they make a trade at the deadline? In fact, you might know that off the top of your head. How many times has a LeBron James team been in contention for a championship in the last 12 years and not Let's go back to Cleveland because they did one with uh, Antoine Jameson in 2010. How many times in the last 14 years has a LeBron James team not made a big trade at the deadline? This is so funny. I was just thinking of Antoine Jameson the other day. I'm like, that dude was such a weird scorer. We need more Antoine Jameson. I think I think someone needs to run an analysis of the amount of passive-aggressive comments that LeBron makes about changing the team and the trades that happen. Because I think like the more of those comments, like it has to be such a high percentage at that point. I I don't know. I haven't paid attention. Has he been in the Has he been in the in the news a lot saying some things like we gotta we gotta see something different in the locker room? Everyone is he saying stuff like that? He's 39 now. He doesn't he doesn't say it. He just gives you a look. It's like a disapproving look and the media picks up on it and then a trade happens um have i said the miami heat yet you did tell me about the miami Heat. yeah yeah they're just sneaky in the playoffs they're just da- they got that eric spolster guy um they have butler and bam they have jaime hawkes i got kyle lowry and kevin love they're 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 just like the expendables i don't know how they keep doing it they keep coming back they keep fighting the bad guys um who else I mean, they're just the heat. They're just the heat. Yeah. They're they're sneaky, kind of good. I can never, I I am continuing to be driven absolutely insane by trying to scout this team, because you're like, let me, you're like, let me watch them. You're like, wait a second, why isn't Bam playing? You're like, all right, let me go to the next game. You're like, why isn't Jimmy Butler playing? Why do they never play at the same time? And is this a Spolstra strategy so teams can't scout them? He scouts everyone else. They don't get to see. They don't get to see the heat. I think something that's really interesting about the Heat that Bam's really developed well is as much as his offensive game frustrates me in the regular season because I'm like, get some easier buckets, young man. Um, His game is actually pretty solid for like 
having a nice baseline in the playoffs because he loves his like getting to the middle of the paint. He's like 10 feet away. He's got the super high release, like the Rashid Wallace type of fadeaway over some contesting big man. And he just can't do anything about it. Like he's going to hit the same percentage no matter who's defending him. And I think when you get to a playoff scenario and you got guys like Duncan Robinson, who's running all over the place and Jaime Jaquez, who's, you know, I think he's going to be able to translate well into the playoffs. You just have all these guys doing the movement and bam at a bio is always like a last case scenario. Let's just take this 10 foot fade away. That's a solid enough playoff offense. And so I think that's like an interesting thing they always have. And of course, Jimmy Butler of it all, like when he's out there, he's always a good, like he's good for shooting 50% in the first two rounds of the playoffs as well. Um, so you're right. Like, I hate saying it. The, the Heat just have some kind of weird magic, and I accept you putting them here. I'm actually going to take back what I said. I, say, I think I said there were four teams. I have to have three teams and then another subcategory called weird. weird. Yeah, th- no, this team's weird, and that's the Pelicans. They're just oh, weird. Yeah. They just have a ton of talent, and they're weird. Cody did not like that I said the Pelicans on this show. He made a very disapproving face. So I want to go back to Milwaukee. I'm going to go back to Milwaukee. You're telling me that you have Milwaukee behind the Clippers and the Thunder and teams like that. They're in that tier. In that tier. If I were to rank them in that tier, I would have the Clippers and I have would have the Thunder over them. Okay. And why what's the doubt? Why Philadelphia on the inside, but Milwaukee on the outside looking through the glass, tapping the glass, saying, Let me in? I've never said this in a podcast to you before. So just like accept that this is a little personal. We're talking about the Bucks. Um, do you watch the Bucks and think, "Wow, that's a team that's really going to translate well to the playoffs"? Like, is that the first thing you think? Like, do you watch the Bucks? Because <laughs> that's what I think. Like, you watch a fourth quarter, and I'm just like, I got a stale like like I just ate some like stale crackers, right? Like the offense seems good. Damian Lillard's getting downhill. Giannis looks great. But then there's a bunch of other guys not named Chris Middleton who I'm just nervous about ever having the ball on offense, right? Like there's really not a strong amount of diversity that their offense can bring. And like I'm real like people, if you haven't picked up on like the 25 and under draft and the way that I rank defenses, I like versatility in the playoffs. I think versatility is really really important. And this team just doesn't have that kind of versatility. I think the game that Dame and Giannis take to Together. It's great. It's super effective, and I'm sure it's going to be effective in the playoffs. But I don't think the rest of the roster allows them to do a lot of really interesting stuff. I know Malik Beasley is shooting like 48% from three or something like that. It's ridiculous. He's not missing any threes. But beyond that, like, I don't think he's bringing a ton of juice to the offense. And defensively, Ben, just. I, I don't I don't necessarily know again the flexibility they don't really have flexibility on defense and I don't really trust any of their perimeter defenders so I think it's the versatility aspect of it all that's that's how I feel about the box you're making me rethink a lot of stuff okay like when you say it out loud <laughs> I, I guess I guess there's a vulnerability here at the end of the show yeah. I mean most people aren't listening anymore so we can we can talk like this I've been wondering lately about that 2021 championship. Don't do this. Yes, yes. Well, I'm it's gonna, relevant today. It's I'm relevant today. To yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. You'll be okay. You'll make it through this. If they never win that championship, how are we thinking about this team right now? That's where the historical comparisons start to creep into my head, where it's like David Robinson's Spurs from <laughs> 1990 to 1996. I mean... No one really was going into 1996 and being like, whew, we're really scared of David Robinson's Spurs. Even though they're a really good team, you can make some conference finals here and there. 
the Bucks from 2019 to 2023. That's five playoff runs, right? They had what I would say were two disasters against the Heat. They had the 2019 playoffs where they lost four in a row to Toronto. It's an interesting thing to think if they could have gotten through Toronto, like if Fred Van Vliet didn't become a father and shot like only 45 or 50% from three instead of 80% from three. Like, so there's that. That's that's good. Um, then they had the Celtics in 22 when Chris Middleton was injured. I'm forgetting one year, the, the year they won the title, but the year they won the title... Who were the teams that they beat to win the title? Well, they beat. I uh, guess the I guess Brooklyn was the real team in the second round. Yeah, and I know yeah. I think James Harden went down midway through. Like he was pretty hobbled by a hamstring, and then he, he had a hamstring. Down. Kyrie may yeah. have went down too. He, he I, injured an ankle. Up? He injured an ankle and missed two games. I can't remember off the top of my head. So this is this is what I'm saying. Like Milwaukee, just like this season, clearly has the look and the footprint of a top team in basketball they win a ton of games they have a ton of great positive indicators for multiple years when Giannis Antetokounmpo is in the game and on the court they're really good but there's also this sort of like question mark of I mean you were talking about rigidity but for me with the current roster construction Drew Holiday is gone before they had Drew Holiday there were some dicey moments with the Eric Bledsoe's of the world in the postseason and things like that. Because as good of an indicator as regular season basketball is for the playoffs, stuff changes. And the critical things that change, we mentioned it earlier with Oklahoma City, like you will be asked to to excel in your weakness if you're a player with glaring weaknesses sometimes. And that's where like starting Malik Beasley at shooting guard, um, I get a little nervous about something like that defensively and even with some of the offensive actions in a situation where you're competing for a championship with that talent. Dame Lillard is potentially a huge negative on defense in the playoffs. Then there's the rest of the bench and like how much I, I know Bobby Portis has has given great minutes for the Bucks and things like that but uh, wh- you know how much can you get from the seventh guy the eighth guy things like that. It's we. It's a we. It's kind of weird to me. It's kind of weird. Weird, maybe not the right word. It's like it's like in a it's like in a gray space, hovering in between. This team looks like it could have come out of this stretch with two or three titles, and this team looks like we just forget about them come playoff time. Let me let me flip around your question in just a second because I think your ultimate premise about how would we think about them if they don't win the championship in twenty one. I actually think they were flirting with championship contention for multiple years there. Like you said, the conference finals in 2019, that's even before Drew Holiday gets there. I don't know what we assume happens in 21, but they did come back from two oh two deficits. Like it's not necessarily like they kind of went through like a simple run, but like they really went through some adversity throughout those playoffs. Like no, that assume, was... assume they lose to Brooklyn. I think that's the that's the because you know Kevin Durant has the that was a seven game series yada 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 like just just if they had lost that series at the end of that seventh game but like they don't right they come back from O two the next series Giannis goes down and then they still end up beating the Hawks which I think is a team people might be questioning more and then they go down O two after Giannis basically like I don't know how he comes back from that knee injury comes back O two against the against the Suns the, the Suns the, Su- the Suns didn't beat a good healthy team their entire their entire uh, uh, run together. 
I think the better question is if you ask the same thing about the Lakers, Ben, about their championship in 2020. Because I don't necessarily know if they w- if they don't win that championship. I don't know if we have a lot of these other discussions about them because, what, we see them make a Western Conference Finals run where they get swept by the Nuggets last year? And beyond that, what's the rest of their run look like? I think the Bucks are the wrong team to be putting under that sort of microscope in this conversation. I see I've hit a nerve. I see I've hit a nerve with this I, I question. Just, I just think you're wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't just think, think you're the wrong Lakers, about this question. What am I wrong about? I'm just I'm I'm <laughs> saying the way they're perceived. That's what I'm asking about. I don't have a stance. I'm saying the 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 fact that they've had these things happen with Milwaukee. I mean with Milwaukee with Miami, and outside of that, um, who's the best team they beat in five years? I think that's the question. Off the I mean off the top of my head, I guess I don't know. What my answer would be, but I think I think this is too much of a hypothetical to really go towards because when you win a championship, it just completely changes the way that you play, and I think that perception is a big part of the analysis that goes into it. Like I think we more or less gift Denver the inner circle contention because we saw like the proof of concept in the playoffs last year. Like I don't necessarily know if you can go and toggle back something that happened a couple of years ago and be like, well, what would we think of them now? I don't know. I don't know what the Bucks team would even look like at this point if they don't win that championship. Maybe they blow up things a lot sooner than that. So um, I, guess, I guess I just ultimately don't accept the premise, Ben. I don't accept What's the premise. What's the premise? I have them higher than you. I don't understand what the premise is. The, the premise is just the whole, what if they don't win 2021? How do we view them now? No, I'm saying that I have them higher than you. But because, then you start questioning yourself. Well, you made a bunch of very compelling arguments that I think are when you... That's, that's why I asked the question. That's why I landed on this question about whether I'm being pulled up on Milwaukee because they've won a championship and because especially from 2019 to 2021, they won, what, six... set. They won seven playoff series in a three-year stretch. Um, how many have they won since then? I can't, I can't even calculate that. Not many. <laughs> They've won one. They've won one since then. Right, yeah. So that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, I have them higher than you, but is that based on sort of anchoring or putting a lot of weight in the fact that they're one of the teams up here that has the championship pedigree? I think that's an okay analysis to do. I think having them for that reason is okay. I think it's the opposite of the rookie tax, right? Like I, I do I know it's like some kind of winning bias and whatever else, but I do think there's like a self-perception even that helps you when you do have the confidence of actually having done the thing. So I think it's acceptable to boost somebody a little bit because they've already proven that they can do it. But I also think it's the thing that's that gets most ba- I mean sports fans probably, but especially in basketball. Basketball fans and this is why uh winning bias was one of the early chapters in thinking basketball the book we really fall in love with like i have to see it like no one who's won like everyone who hasn't won a title isn't good enough to win a title in the in the idea of the basketball world (laughs) and then like Jokic last year terrible couldn't do it then once they do it unbeatable the only team that can do it and that pattern just repeats itself and obviously that's not going to accurately be able to predict what happens it's obviously not uh sort of a cogent analysis or coherent analysis and way to approach the the standings like the celtics have never won a title this group right that doesn't prevent that doesn't prevent them from winning a title this season yeah go ahead what can i add my own little personal uh philosophy on this Because the proof of concept to me doesn't necessarily have to be, in my mind, an actual victory. I think the best teams, Ben, they know defeat, 
right? The best teams, the ones that actually go and be successful, are scrubbed from existence painfully sometimes. I'm thinking of Michael Jordan in the late 80s. Like, I think the fact that he made it like he did and went up against the Pistons, there's proof of concept there. Like, you don't actually have to win it all. You just have to be close enough to be in contention. And to me, the Celtics, they haven't won it all. But to me, they've, like, known enough defeat close enough that I'm like, oh, that's good enough for me. So I think that's the aspect of it. You have to know defeat. I don't necessarily need to see the tangible, actual victory of winning a championship. Hmm. So where does that leave us with the Bucks? <sighs> I just we're probably in the ballpark. They're not. Okay. In the, it, they're not in the the top tier, and they're somewhere in the secondish tier. Are there any other teams today that we haven't mentioned that you would like to discuss? Just because I like people being angry at me, and I'm feeling like a little <laughs> Spitfire today. Like, wh- wh- where are you with the Mavericks? Uh, next. <laughs> uh, you're done with the Warriors, then. Last year, I was done with the Warriors. Yeah. Okay, that's. Let's see. What else? What else you got? Keep them coming. Okay, hot, hot take. I haven't even thought about this till right now. Oh, Gri- Grizzlies. How do you feel about the Grizzlies, Ben? No, nah, I can't. I can't put them in the same Phoenix Lakers, Miami. They're, the Grizzlies are with the Pelicans. The Grizzlies are with the Pelicans. They're they're a dangerous, talented team, but uh, we're not like all the other teams we've talked about: conference finals, finals, championship. That's kind of the range we're talking about. I think it would be the end of the road, the the very edge of the extreme for any of those other teams to get there, based on what I see. But I do. I've totally forgot. I wanted to start the show with this. I got so wrapped up in your story about the owl. I want to plant my flag, Cody. I want to plant my flag. The Detroit Pistons. There's a lot of talk with the win streak. Now the win streak is finally over. Um, I've heard people call Detroit the worst team of all time. Statistically, they're not even... I don't want to say they're not close because all teams that are like 15, 17 win teams are at the bottom of the list of teams of all time. But I'm pretty sure statistically they're not close. I'm pretty sure there are teams that have much, much worse point differentials over the course of a season. And Detroit has had some bad luck in this run in terms of not being able to just get a single win to break up the win streak so you don't notice. Didn't I, what was the team we called out recently that lost? It was the Cavs in 2010. Didn't they lose like 36 of 37 games? They started the year pretty well and then they lost like 36 of 37 games, something like that. Can't remember the exact stat off the top of my head, but you have teams like that. You have the Bobcats teams, some old 76ers teams that struggle to win like 10 games in a full season. Detroit does not actually look like the worst team of all time. And where I want to really plant my flag is I don't think they're the worst team in the NBA this season. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you, do you want to name anyone specifically or you just want to put that out there? I just want to put that out there. They are, uh, if you look at our board, they have the lowest win pace at 15 wins right now. The Spurs are at 16. The Blazers are at 17. And the Washington Wizards are at 17. And after the Hornets trade LaMelo Ball, they'll be they'll be below 15 as well. So one of those teams is worse than Detroit. That's where I want to plant my flag. And and that also means that the Pistons, now the Pistons do have a head start. They're 3 and 30, and that number one pick lottery ball might be looking juicy. But it also means that the Pistons might find a way to not finish with the worst record, especially if the Spurs keep doing, like the Spurs seem intent on getting the worst record. And I'll throw one more bonus fact in here since I'm planting my flag on Detroit Mountain. During that entire losing streak, Cade Cunningham and a number of other Pistons, I don't want to just make it sound like he's an outlier here, but 
to, to put it in perspective, I may have told you this. Do you know how many times during the 26-27 game losing streak that Cade Cunningham had a positive plus-minus in the game? So this is not the dude playing 12 minutes off the bench. This is your starting franchise player, 35-40 minutes in the game. Do you know how many times in the losing streak he had a positive plus-minus? How many? Seven. And actually, against the Celtics, it was eight. So the answer is eight. I don't know why I said seven. I, I, I thought they beat the Celtics. They lost to the Celtics. I think it was eight. Eight times. So that's my flag. I'm planning it. Bottom of, the power, bottom of the power rankings, anyone but Detroit. You're saying that's a good signal. Like, they were doing some good stuff in that winning streak. I'm saying, streak. It's, oh, it's saying it's overstated. Okay. okay. It's overstated. Yeah. They're three and 30. And... Uh, I would bet the big money that they're going to win more than seven games, even though they're on pace for seven wins. Yeah, they're not going to win seven games. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, not happening. Yep. To support the show, check out patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Uh, that's where we access the stats that you hear throughout the show on teams and players and things like that. Patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Uh, thanks, as always, for for hanging out with us for... I can't believe we talked about NBA teams for over an hour today. You were feeling saucy. I know. I, I, I'm afraid to listen to this one back because I'm like, I think I was maybe a little angry coming into this one. So we'll see. You got, you, you, you got going there. You got going there. Yeah. That thing, the thing at the end with Milwaukee is very interesting. We're going to we're gonna have to break this down and analyze it. Yeah. yeah you got I, very upset at me for posing that question. I feel like... No, okay. We don't have to rego. I wasn't I, taking away your championship. I was saying... Oh, I know. Am I am I having rose-colored glasses because of a, uh, you know, a championship that, let's just say I don't think too highly of the last two opponents that they defeated. Okay, well that's yeah. fair, but I, okay, we 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 had the conversation. We don't have to have it again. We don't have to have it a second time. Uh, thanks as always for listening, and of course uh, we hope you're having a great day. 